0: And welcome to this episode of the Daily Walk Heaven Words podcast. I'm Father Stanislaw, and I'm really grateful and privileged to break open the word with you. The word that comes to us on this fourth Sunday of Advent. The fourth Sunday and uh, the fourth week of Advent is usually shorter than usual and yet incredibly powerful. So we want to begin right away to welcome the word, open our hearts and our minds to receive it as it is, God speaking to us, challenging us to become indeed children of God. And we begin by bowing our head and praying. Let us pray. Forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said. And pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the headmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Today we lit the fourth candle in our Advent wreath, and therefore we're done. Now with four candles, we are able to see much more than we were able to see last week. And therefore now we can really say forever, I will sing the mercies of God. I will sing the goodness of the Lord. Why? We are able to see what God is about to doing. And God is about to doing for us, with each one of us, something that even the wildest prophet could not even imagine. The thing that is the most, was considered the the most impossible one, has been achieved by God because of his great love for us. Last week, when we lit the third candle, we found ourselves in the desert with John the Baptist. And in the desert where we can only rely on what we have, where we can no longer lie, we can no longer make excuses, we can no longer blame others, when we are really facing both our demons and the love that God has for us, we were asked to make straight the path, to make it easier for Christ to come by removing obstacles, not because God Christ cannot pass over the obstacles, but because God, because he's motivated by love, he's very respectful of our choices. And therefore, if we keep singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, but then we put our hand up, say, no, not here, over there. I'm good. You really have to come, but to my neighbors, because they make a lot of noise, you know, then he's very respectful. He say, okay, you know, you, you really don't want me there or you just want me to send a card. Whatever it is, he will be respectful. But yet in the desert, we were, we were asked to strengthen the path. And how? You remember that we were invited to answer the two questions that John the Baptist received. Those questions allow us to really face the truth about what God is doing and face the truth about ourselves. Those, the answer to those two questions will allow us to celebrate Christmas with a difference. Because it will be not just a holiday, but an event of our life where something amazing can happen. What were those two questions? Who are you? And what do you say about yourself? It's important because if I think that I am the messiah, then when Christ comes as a messiah, I'm going to dismiss him because I am it. As a matter of fact, I think I'm the best thing in town that I can even tell him how to be a good messiah. I can even tell the Pope how to be a better Catholic. I can even tell the church, I disagree with you, therefore you have to change the teaching so that it matches what I think is important. If, however, I answer in a different way, hmm, maybe the adventure can actually happen, the adventure of the Christian life. Now, the page that that we receive as a gospel uh, for this fourth Sunday, we, uh, we have given Mary as an example, as a guide for us. And we see that she answered to those questions in a completely different way. And hopefully we can, as we make an effort to be like Mary, we can make her answer our own as well. Let's find out. First of all, the page of the gospel is probably one of the best known passage, right? Even the Rosary begins with this episode. And um, every holiday about Mary always says this, almost all of them have this particular passage. But sometimes, because we are so familiar with that, with art, you know, the Annunciation, the angel, almost these scenes are painted by almost every major artist. We probably have lost the impact that 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 episode must have had in the mind of the people who heard them for the first time. But what is the background that allows us to understand the message of that, pack, of that page. It comes to us from the first reading. Let's figure this out very quickly. We were cre- God created us in a very unique way compared to the rest of creation. When God created Adam, he created in a way where Adam could relate to God, could call God you, and God could, cre- could call Adam you, there was a special relationship. We were made to relate to God on a personal way. We were made to relate to God in a personal way, okay? To be with each other. Original sin warped the relationship, warped the image that we have about our, each other but did not change the desire we have in us to be in communion, to be in union with God. Do you understand? Really, I need some feedback here. Okay, all right. So we, we long to be with him as he longs to be with us. But sin got in the way, but that desire was never changed. So it's there. So now when we see the page, when we read the story of King David, we understand that David is acting on that desire. He is realizing that, says, oh my goodness, I am in a very nice house made of cedar wood. Must have smelled very nicely. And then, um, but the Ark of the Covenant where the, the symbol of God's presence in the midst was under a tent. So he said, you know what? I'm gonna make a house for God. And everybody said, that's a fantastic idea, very good. You know, Good, the king, you know, king David is the king. You know, he had this special grace. And even the prophet says, sure, go ahead. I'll sponsor that. And then God said to Nathan in a dream, he said, really? Isn't that adorable? I, the creator of heaven and earth, of things visible, and invisible, needs to be placed in a box, in a house? Really? When did you get that idea? Why do you want me to be placed in a building? I am the Creator. But because God is very respectful and always follows our needs the way we can understand them, He goes along with it. But He turns things around and says, okay, you want to build me a temple because you want to put me in a box, Fine, I can do that. However, he says, you're not going to outdo my generosity. God plays on the word house and household, and he says, I will, you're going to make me a building, a house. I'm going to make your household last forever. The building will come and go. Buildings come and go, but your household will be forever. And as a matter of fact, from that household, they will be someone whose king kingdom will last forever. You see what God was doing. However, there is always the temptation for us. And that's what God really had the same issue when the first Israelites wanted to have a king. And God says, why do you want to have a king? I'm a king. He said, well, everybody else, all the other nations have a king. We really like it. You know, the crown, the weddings are really awesome. You know, all those kind of things we really want. And God said, okay, fine. But don't forget that I'm the one who leads you. I'm the one who is guiding you. And guess what? They did forget. Because they got caught into this beautiful thing. And the same is gonna happen with this temple idea. The, The processes, the things become more important than God himself. For us as well today, we have that temptation. Sometimes our religion becomes more important than God. The way we worship becomes even more important than the one we worship. The way we receive communion, for example, becomes more important than the one we're receiving. And so these things are always in competition, and we are invited today to make sure that all these things, important as they are, they have to have the right place. Sometimes, again, we think that just because I say this particular prayer, Uh, three times a day, God is gonna love me more. That's placing God in a box, okay? Sometimes in churches, every once in a while, even in ours, as a matter of fact, I see those things left behind, you know, if you uh, write, make nine copies of this prayer, and you put it in nine different pews, in nine different uh, churches, then God is gonna give you what you want. Isn't that adorable? Isn't that amazing? That's placing God in a a box because now God cannot do anything else because he said, well, I've done nine, look, I made nine copies, nine pews, nine churches, you owe me now. Okay? It's no longer a person. It's no longer someone that we relate to because we turned into an idol that now he owes us something. Mm. Always watch out. So important as our practices are, they are secondary to God who loves us immensely. Are you with me? Okay, good. Now, so with this in mind, this desire that King David had to be with God, and God says, now I'm going to be with you, and we're going to find a way to be with you, we enter into this stage of the gospel. And because we see how the plan of God becomes a reality, not only for Mary and through Mary, but for all of us. Now. I'm pretty sure that when the first Christians, not necessarily the ones of the community of Luke, but when the gospel of Luke began to spread into, through Christianity, the very first words of this passage made people go, really? Why? Well, first of all, what's happening? An angel, the angel, the archangel Gabriel, was sent from God. Gabriel, every time Gabriel shows up in the Bible, it's always something to do with the Messiah. He must have had as a job, okay? So he shows up in Mary. And isn't it amazing that everybody, every time he shows up, people are terrified. He has to say, don't be afraid. I don't know how he looks, but I don't know. But anyway, so he shows up, and where? To a town of Galilee named Nazareth. I'm sure everybody went... What? Nazareth, where is it? It's not a very popular place. People did not know what it was. It was not an important town. And then Galilee, and everybody must have gone, ooh. Why? Galilee is the, the word Galilee comes from the Hebrew Galil, which means a district. The part of town, the part of the nation where nobody wants to go, where the thugs come from where people are uneducated, where you know, bad people live there. Now, I read somewhere that the rabbis at that time all had an obligation to read portion of the Torah in the temple every year. But the rabbis from Galilee had an exception. They did not have to do it because of the accent that they had, because they were not as educated as the others. Isn't that lovely? But yeah, discrimination is everywhere. So that, now you remember when uh, um, the story of the trial of Jesus, when Peter is outside and a woman tell, says, You must be a follower because you are a Galilean. How did she know that Peter was a Galilean? Did he have a name tag that says, Hello, I'm Peter from Galilee? No, from the clothes, the collars that he was wearing, and probably the accent, something. Uh, that made him aware, and people could spot the Galileans right away. Nathaniel, one of the first people to be called, and receives an incredible compliment from Jesus. He says, this is a true Israelite in which there is no duplicity. He's not a hypocrite. And when Nathaniel hears that the Messiah was coming from Galilee, he says, can anything good come from there? I mean, come on, we are not doing well with a Messiah, the angel going to Galilee. Are you following? There was this kind of prejudice and yet it's exactly there that the story begins. When I was preparing myself for this liturgy, I had to deal with the Galilee in me as well. The place in me, and I'm inviting you to do the same, think of the place. Of you, of your personality, of your history, of your story, that you think nothing good can come out of. The place where we try to hide it, like Cinderella. You're going to the ball, but you're not going to the ball. Okay? Like, yeah, you're part of the family, but I don't want to talk about that part of my life. The part of us that really we would rather put it aside, that nobody will find out. The part that we would rather ignore so that something else about us can shine, the Jerusalem in us can shine. Because that is the part that God wants us to encounter him. And is there when we think about Galilee, that part of ourselves, it is there that God says to us, you are full of grace. Like what? No, no, no. I'm a sinner. You know, there is part of me that doesn't work very well. Yep. Right there. Right there, there is an opportunity for you to find the fullness of grace. Why? Because God wants to be with you there. God wants to be with you there. God knows very well where our Galilee is. And that's exactly where the angel goes. He says, prepare the way of the Lord starting there. Because that part can be the source of new life. Isn't that awesome? You're not as, as excited as I am. But I think it's a good news that we don't have to hide things from God. Because whatever it is that we're struggling with this year, it's the place that is going to bring us to a deeper union with God. Why? He loves us this much. Oh, my goodness. Now, what happens is exactly there. Then maybe we can struggle as Mary did. Like, how can this be? I mean, I, you know. And he says, Nothing is impossible for God. So you remember those two questions that we still have to answer. Who are you and what do you say about yourself? Mary answered them saying, I'm not really sure what's happening here, but I trust God. And she said, I am the handmaid of the Lord. What does it mean? It means she is the one who is willing to work with God so that Christ can be born. And that's what God is doing to each one of us, as he did with Mary. Imagine God Almighty is becoming so small before her and says, would you mind that my son be born in you? And he's asking each one of us again the same thing. Can Christ be born in you this year? Can finally this story be a reality for you? Can you figure out that I want to be with you? And the only thing I need is a yes. Listen, my friends. Christianity, Catholicism begins when we understand that it is about what God is doing for us, not what we do for God. No, nothing? Okay, I'm gonna do it again. Christianity begins when we understand that it is about what God is doing for us, not what we do for God. Amen. Thank you. Do we understand? It is when we understand it, that it's him who does something amazing for us. Why is the gospel so concerned with underlying the word that Mary was a virgin? It's because God is taking the initiative and she depends entirely on what God He's doing so that Christ can be born in us. Do you understand? There is nothing that we can do that will allow us to go to heaven except saying yes. And say, let's work it out. Let's let's do this. I don't know what that means. I don't know what this adventure is going to bring me this year. But guess what? He's going to be with me. And he's going to be in me. And through me, he's going to lead me. And the same for each one of us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? When we understand this, we can understand why we are identified as people who are free. Because we know we don't have to do it on our own. But cry but God, through the Holy Spirit, is doing something amazing. So the answer that Mary gave was, I am the handmaid of the Lord. I'm working out with her. I'm willing to do something with God. And then what do you say about yourself? She said, let it be done to me according to your word. It means that now I'm willing to change my mindset. I no longer have to think that I'm always right. I don't have to attack all the people who are telling me I'm not correct. I don't have to tell people how wrong they are. I don't have to make fun of people and belittle them just to make sure that my faith is defended. The only way that I have to do it is, I wanna do what God tells me to do. And that's plenty. And what's the result? We will understand what it means for Christ to be born in us. And we know, we will know what it means that nothing is impossible for God. Because with our yes, we allow God to do the unthinkable. Change each one of us from a sinner to a child of God. The powerful story of the Annunciation challenges us indeed to let the good news that God is with us become real so that in each one of us Christ can be born all the time and only He can make us into a child of God. I pray that uh, you welcome the challenge, allow God to speak to you in your Galilee, whatever it's shadowed, hidden, and indeed allow yourself to be transformed by the presence of God. I'll talk to you soon, and uh, I wish you well. Uh, Please continue to pray for all of us as we for you. God bless. Bye-bye.